part of this, this series is not just about telling you how beliefs come. I want to tell you, I want to teach you how to build beliefs. Because here's the harder thing. Just because something is true doesn't mean that we believe it. There are stories that we need to believe about God that we don't believe yet. You're listening to a message at Grace Church of Alma, a place where the curious, bored, and discouraged can journey together toward a full life with Jesus. Pretty much every Sunday we have the heart to to make sure you guys walk away with something that you can really use in your life that can help you. But sometimes there are series that are a little bit deeper than that. There are series that are a little bit more complex. Uh, things that go down to the fabric of, of kind of how we live and how we, we navigate the world. And with this series, it's one of those. It's, it's a little bit daunting uh, to talk about because we're talking about something that is very innate. It's very natural for us. Something that you do without being taught how to do it, something you do instinctively. So how do we train ourselves to do this in a healthy way, in a way that we need to do? And so with, with these things, um, one of the best stories of this, have you guys ever heard the story of the three little pigs? Anybody, right? The first house was made of what? Straw. The second house, what? Sticks. And the third house, what? Brick and mortar, right? Okay, nice. Now, the idea is this. The idea is that we all knew the storm was coming. We all knew that the, the, uh, the bad wolf was going to come. And the question was, what are you going to build your house on? What do you believe is going to survive the storm, the wolf? And so, of course, the, the, the story goes, here's the first house made with straw, and of course, the, the, the wolf blows and huffs and puffs and blows the house down. The second one, the sticks, it blows it down, and the third one, they get to the, the bricks, and it withstands the huffing and the puffing, right? Now, the idea here is this. We will all instinctually build a house. We will build a, a system of beliefs, things, how we interpret the world, stories that we believe. And the question is this, it's not that we need to be ashamed of the fact that we build stories, because we, we have to, it's how we live, it's how we survive. But the question is, what are we going to build our house with? We know that there will be a time when our experiences are going to try to destroy our beliefs. You will have a strong ingrained thing or story inside of you. And when you go through experiences, the question is, is this story going to survive? Is this house going to withstand this? Now, the scriptures actually have a similar story to the three little pigs. But in this story, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus' story, there is no wind, there's no huffing and puffing. It's fire. Much better, right? And what happens in this story is everything is tested with fire. And all those things that are made with anything that is not gold burns to the ground and is shown for what it is. Nothing. And so the warning of Jesus was, only build your life with things that will remain. Things that are eternal, things that are true, things that are real. Because if you do not, these things at some point in your life will be tested with fire. Now, I think the fire is less funny than the wind and the huffing and the puffing, but I think the point still remains. At some point, what you believe is going to be tested, and what is going to happen when it does? One of the main reasons that, we, uh, that we're here at Grace Church so we believe that it is crucial that we build our houses with something that is going to survive. I believe that we have children right now who are learning uh, Bible stories, who are learning these powerful ideas about God. Right now in these back rooms, they are building a house. And the dream that I would have is that we would be a church that would allow our children, that would allow the generations 
that follow us, that we would allow them to build their houses with brick. Because we know that there will be a day that comes when it will be tested. The first time that our little ones lose someone in their life, they taste death. The first time that they go to college and some extremely smart professor calls them out and dares them to stand on their beliefs. It was my freshman year. I remember there was a a, a professor opened the Bible and said, who believes the Bible is literal? And all of us good Southern Christians raised our hand. And of course, he read that famous verse from Jesus. And if a snake bites you, you shall survive. If you drink poison, it shall not harm you. And he takes a vial and puts it on the table. Who's ready to test it? Would you like to know how many of those uh, Christians drank the vial? None of us, right? And all of a sudden, the stick started to shake. Oh, no. Well, if that verse, well, what about this one? And then what about this one? And what about this one? And I remember there was a time in, in school, I was taking a, a test, and the question was, what is the, the, the age of the earth? And I had this one student who was very, very uh, zealous, and he wanted to argue with, with the teacher. No, 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 the, the, the earth is only 6,000 years old. And he said, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, because the story tells me so. Now, there's no one who truly knows the exact age of the earth. That's not the point. The point was that he was told that his house had to be built with these things. And so, as a pastor, I understand this, that when most people come to me, when they call me, when we have our meetings, when we have coffee, when they're going through struggle, when their house is beginning to shake, most of the times that point is too late. What they've built their, their, their home with, their beliefs with, it might not survive. Now, in this process, it's important to understand this. You have an ability to determine how you build things. A belief is something that you foster. Now, just because you believe something doesn't mean it's true. I firmly believe the Razorbacks will win a national title in football. Someday. Do I know when? Absolutely not. But I firmly believe this. Does it make this true? You better believe it does not. In fact, evidence would say contrary to that. Now, just because something is true, it doesn't mean that I believe it either, right? I've been told that Pluto is not a planet. I will continue to complain about this. I was told these planets are planets and these are not. And I've been told now that Pluto is not a planet. Do I believe this? No. You don't get to change my story. It's already set. Pluto is a planet and a cartoon character. Do not touch either one of them, right? And so the question comes into this is, okay, if we understand that our beliefs are things that we foster, things that we choose, my beliefs would be very different if I were born in the 1800s. My beliefs would be very different if I grew up in uh, northern Africa, if I grew up in North Korea. My beliefs don't necessarily come from anywhere that is true, anything that I can trust. Beliefs are things that we build, things that we foster. And so if, if beliefs are things that we build, if it's a house that we construct, then should we be careful with the ones that we build? And if we are careful, how do we build or foster or take care of beliefs that are important? Here's something important for you to understand. 
Not all beliefs are equal. Not all beliefs are even good. Some are good, some are bad. Some are worse, some are better. Now, to have a belief, it starts with something. A belief starts with a story. Oddly enough, you understand your entire existence in a series of stories. That's how you live your life. That's how humans operate. We tell stories. One of the foundations of this series is that every single human being is religious. If you are human, you are religious. I hear a lot from people outside the church, well, I'm not religious, you know, I'm just spiritual. I'm spiritual, that's what I am. If you have a story about how that spirit happens, whatever, if I ask you, how did the world come to be? And you said, I believe that God spoke words for six days, got exhausted and slept on the seventh day. Or, or you say to me, I believe there was nothing. And then there was a big, and then everything was there a few billion years later. You're telling me a story. I believe that everything is matter, or I believe that everything is, you're telling me a story. We only understand the world through stories. And so belief starts with a story, but a story is not enough for us. I can't just tell you a story and then you believe it. We have to reinforce that belief. So a belief is born with a story. It's nurtured or fostered through reinforcement. So for example, I believe that the Arkansas Razorbacks are the best team in the world. I will not leave them no matter what, but I have to reinforce this. Now, if you are in the room and you have lost your love for the Razorbacks, here's your problem. You haven't been feeding it. You haven't been taking care of that baby very well, right? But see, I will. I will reinforce it. So here's what I'll do. If the baseball team is great, guess what I'm going to do? Watch the baseball. Because I'm going to let something feed my belief. Even if the football team is the worst ever, I'm going to allow that belief to be reinforced as I watch baseball. You know what? We'll kick your butt in track. We will run farther than you, than you, longer than you. And then we will hit a ball farther than you, more often than you, and throw a ball past you more often than you. Sports are weird, aren't they? And that will determine who the winner is. And then, when we get a new coach in basketball, I will watch basketball, religiously. And I will tweet about it, and I will text people about it. I, I will joke about it. I will tell stories about it. After church, I'll find uh, Brian Jernigan. We will talk about how great the basketball team is. Because we need to. Because what happens if you stop talking to people about it? If you stop watching, if you stop thinking about it, stop imagining what happens to that belief? It gets weaker. And then you sin. You choose to become an OU fan. <laughs> Something worse. Who knows what else is worse than that? I'm not really sure what else is worse than that. You have to foster that belief. And every single year, the, the, uh, the season ticket holders for football, you guys have a, a huge decision to make. Will I re-up this year? And you go through it in your mind. Oh, it took me so long to get here. I started here with these terrible seats, and I got to these seats. And, and if I, oh, well, what happens if they're good this year? I have to restart all over again. So in your mind, you're reinforcing. Now, there's a third stage to belief. The first one is the story. The second one is the reinforcement. The reinforcement is how it gets stronger, right? But the third one is how it survives. Belief is born with a story. is strengthened through reinforcement, but it's sustained. It survives with reinterpretation, meaning we retell the story. We have to find a way to retell it. So someone says to me, the Razorbacks are so bad at football, you guys should go to the Big 12. 
Come on. It's the only place you guys will ever win games. You guys have to go play Texas Tech and uh, Oklahoma State and all those other terrible schools. It's the only place you guys will ever win football games. Go to big, you know, the Big 12. Now, if that counter story begins to settle in on me, if I begin to go, oh, you know what? They might be right. Then, of course, the belief is dying. But I can reinterpret that. Well, I understand that we're struggling, but we have Sam Pittman now. And Sam Pittman is a great recruiter. He hasn't won a single game in his entire life, but he brought in these great coaches. He's going to recruit Georgia. Do you see what I'm doing? And if you're not a sports fan, you're completely lost. It's okay. But just stay with me. You get the idea, right? You've got to find a way to retell the story that works. It's got to fit. It's got to work. And see, everything in your life has stories. In the 50s, the American dream story was very strong. It's not strong anymore. If I, if I go to work, work hard, come home, I will have a three-bedroom home with a white picket fence. And how many kids? Two and a half. Two and a half, because three is way too many. Okay. That's what I have. <laughs> three. I messed up. It's supposed to be two kids and a dog, I think. I think that's the way it should really work out, right? Not a cat. It doesn't count. And if we get those things, then we'll be happy. That's the American dream, or it was the American dream. Now, what happens when someone gets to that point? They've been telling the story. They've been reinforcing it. They've been working hard. They've been working for the promotion. They've been uh, early to work, the last one to leave. They get home, and they get the house, and they get the white picket fits, and they get the two kids, and then they're not happy. What happens? Because now your experience is not reinforcing your story. So what do you do? You have to reinterpret the dream. Well, maybe it was the, 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 the three-bedroom house, the white picket fence, the two kids, and maybe it was a new car on top of that, right? Or maybe it was the house, the kids, a new car, and a different job. Or maybe it was the house in a different state, away from the in-laws, right? I'm just kidding. I love my in-laws. <laughs> Whatever. You get the idea of the way this works, right? And the way that humans function is we're always trying to tell the story because without story, we have no meaning in life. And without meaning, we can't go on. One of the hardest things to face when someone begins to wrestle with suicide is that the stories that they've been told about their value, about who they are, about what life is, that it's fallen apart. The house made of sticks has been blown down, and they don't know how to rebuild it. And so part of this, this series is not just about telling you how beliefs come. I want to tell you, I want to teach you how to build beliefs. Because here's the harder thing. Just because something is true doesn't mean that we believe it. There are stories that we need to believe about God that we don't believe yet. See, I've, the last 10 years have made me very negative about the Bible. Not because I don't love the Bible. Because I've seen people use these stories in such dangerous ways in the last 10 years. You can take a book, the scriptures, the Bible, of stories, and you can use these stories to build a beautiful, good, healthy thing, or you can use these stories to build very dangerous things. It all depends on how you, how you tell the story. Now, don't get me wrong. The story matters greatly. Your story can even come down to a single word. For example, if I tell you this, in the beginning, God created heavens and earth, blah, 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 and then he said, go and subdue it. Subdue the earth man. Have your way with it. Master it. Abuse it. 
Do whatever you would want to do. The earth is here for you. Do what you want to to it. Now, what does that story lead me to in my behaviors? When someone comes to me and talks to me about, you know what? It's sleeting in Arkansas, but it's 70 degrees in New York City right now. In Buffalo, New York, you can walk outside in shorts. Is that good news or bad news? And if my story says, well, who cares about the planet? God's going to remake it anyway, then who cares? That doesn't matter to me in my story. Now, what if I change the word? What if I go to the, all the way back to the Aramaic and I say, no, 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 the word isn't master, the word is steward. Tend to the earth. The earth is here for you and you are here for it. Without the earth, you do not get to be here anymore. You must take care of it. Steward it. Nurture it. Tend the garden as you were taught. Take care of this planet. Now, what does that create? Do you see how one single word in your story now creates a whole new meaning for your life? And then you go, man, what should I do with that truck? You know what? It's time to trade in the truck and get a Prius like Pastor Devin, you know? (laughs) I didn't choose the Prius. It was an amazing gift. I love it. I feel very masculine every time I pull up. Every time. But you see this, right? Stories matter. If I tell you that there is a cross and it is the most important moment in all of human history, it tells us who God is. And if I tell you that here's Jesus on the cross bleeding because God is angry at sin, and the only way to make God happy is to punish a child of His. And Jesus chose to be the one that got the wrath of our angry Father. What if I told you the same story, but I told you here's Jesus on the cross because the only hope for the entire world is sacrificial love. What will really change the world is not taking the blood of your enemy, but sacrificing your own. This is the only way to change the world. Now, I'm not telling you which is right or wrong, but I'm telling you, do you see how these stories all of a sudden create very different paths? Right now, there are Christians who are voting on two different sides of the ballot, both being promoted by the Scriptures. How do we get there? And so our stories are very important, the stories that we tell. I actually believe now that the Bible might be one of the most important tools for the world in the next 50 years, if we can get it right. Because we have to have stories. I can't just tell you what to do or what to believe. I have to give you a way to believe it, a story to believe it. And once you get the story, we have to find ways to reinforce it. Here's one thing I want to start with here. I've had people who have come to church with me. Now, in the old days, uh, the church experience was a little bit different. So I had people who would come to church with me, and they would look around and see people with their hands in the air, right? Or or they saw people with their eyes closed doing like the helicopter, you know what I'm talking about? You just imagine. You know all the ways people worship, right? And they'd say to me, this is kind of weird. The Baptist church I went to, we stood there, hands clasped, and stared at the worship leader. Why are you moving with your body? Why are you singing words? What is the point to this? Now... One of the ways that we reinforce our stories is with our bodies. This is one of the things that I'll I'll teach you every single series and every sermon. To do anything, for a human to fully engage in anything, you have to engage all of your parts. Mind, body, emotions, all of it. When we go to the Razorback games and they call the hogs, they go, everyone, a moment of silence. I want you to call the hogs in your mind. Go. You know, I mean, is that how it happens? 
What do we do? And by the way, it's ridiculous, but it's what we do, right? And we, and we do the whole thing. And the hardest part for me, and I, it should be for all men, is the spirit fingers, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm to the point now where the hands just come up, you know, but I, the, the finger part I can't do yet. But we scream it, we sing it, or their mouths with the, the vocal cords, and we also we use our bodies, we act it out, literally calling the demonic spirit of dead hogs. How awesome is that? The most Christian thing ever to do. I love it. It's terrific. Wow. But it's what we do because our bodies get into it. Who's ever been to a really good concert before? Anybody? At a really good concert, does everyone sit in a chair and watch? Now, I mean like a really good concert. Now, I've even been to a really good opera. And when it gets really good, people have trouble just sitting. People are reacting. They're crying. They're laughing. They're smiling. They're cheering. They're singing with the song. They, they can't be still, right? When you go to, to your favorite band, people have their hands up, reaching at the stage. Michael! <laughs> Come on. Cheering, clapping, dancing, singing. It's a human thing that we do. The playoffs start in a few minutes. NFL. People will be out. People in a... People will be in these stadiums singing, chanting, and dancing together. That's what these things are, by the way. They'll be doing some kind of chant or cheer. They'll be engaging their bodies with their minds with their emotions. When the play goes bad, are they going to go, yes, I'm so glad that we, that we failed again. We're the Razorbacks. That's what we do. Or are they going to be angry and cursing and saying words that we shouldn't say, right? I was silent on that one. I know what you're going to be doing in a few hours. Okay. You know what they're going to do. Mind, body, and emotions. Here's the first thing I want to do. I want to do a, first, a quick practice of something. It's going to be foreign to all of you, but don't, it's not weird. This is as Christian as Christian can be, and it's as human as human can be. You will do this for music. You will do this for your children. You will do this for your friends. You will do this for uh, sports. You will do this for any hobby that you care about, which, by the way, uh, Who's like really nerdy? Anybody who's like really nerdy? You guys will play board games and cosplay, dress up as, how weird is that? That's awesome. By the way, that's your thing. We support you. You will engage your what? Your body, right? So what we're going to do, the point of this series is to teach you how to pretend because pretending isn't bad. Pretending is how we believe. You can call it practicing it if it helps you believe it better. We're going to practice reinforcing things. So the way that this works is this. We're going to close our eyes just because uh, we don't want your brain shooting off in too many different directions. We don't want the stimulus from the lights and from the screen and from the person next to you to distract your brain. But we're, we're just going to do something real simple. It's not weird. But if you would close your eyes with me, I want you to kind of cup your hands around your heart. This is kind of a weird thing, okay? Now, as we do this, just remember, if there's parts of you that are fighting this, you're saying, this is stupid, I don't want to do this, this is because we're going against a story that you believe. I'm not that type of person, it doesn't work for me, blah, 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 right? Now, what I want you to do is begin to engage your mind. What we're going to do is this. You're going to picture and imagine 
Anything that you are truly upset about, anything that you are worried about, anything that you are afraid over, anything that you are stressed over, anything from work, from friendships, from home, anything, any kind of regret or shame, anger, unmet expectations, any of that kind of stuff. I want you to picture it kind of, it's like electricity. It's going to go from the place where your heart is. It's going to go into the palms of your hands. It's almost like you're going to make a snowball out of it. It's going to picture all of your negative frustrations. Now, if you are numb right now, you're even going to picture numbness leaving. Numbness is just a facade. It's a lid that keeps our emotions hidden. You're going to picture all that going into your hands. Frustration, anger, confusion, stress, weight. Now you're going to take that ball, you're going to kind of extend it out in front of you. It's almost like you're going to hand it to somebody, right? And then what you're going to do is you're going to take your palms and kind of face them up to the air. It's almost like you're letting go of this ball. Imagine it's almost like you're going to throw it. And I want you to picture this ball of frustration and bitterness just leaving. However it works with you, if it rolls out of your hands, if it floats in the air, if you throw it at somebody, it all works. <laughs> now you can open your eyes. Now that's hard for us to do. If I had an hour, I could get you in a place where you would really enjoy that. But right now it's probably just uncomfortable. That's okay. We are praying with our minds, with our bodies. Now if you let yourself do it long enough, if you were in a safe place, if you were in a place where people weren't around you, if you, if you did this consistently, you would begin to notice engaging your body and your mind is going to automatically engage your emotions. Now, I, I want to talk about the mind part. As important as our bodies are in the way that we believe, in the way that we pray, because prayer is kind of the focus today, how we connect to God. Your imagination might be the most important thing you have when it comes to your prayer life, how you connect to God. Now, this is hard for us to believe because stories we've been told, but I want you to understand something. You do not know who God is yet. We only know pieces. You have an entire book of stories about God, but I want you to understand this. Every single story about God only provides you tiny, small, little comparisons. Now, these comparisons are beautiful and important, and we have to start there. But understand this. These are only the beginning of you knowing who God is. Now, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to illustrate this with the Lord's Prayer. We're going to stick this up there. But understand this, with your, with your imagination, it's important that you know that it's in our imagination that we create stories that are actually worth believing. I hope this practice I'm about to show you, I really want this to, to give you an aha moment about prayer. I want this to really change the way that you see prayer. Understand that who we see God is should be changing constantly. You say, ah, oh, but Pastor Devin, the Bible says God is unchanging. We'll talk about that some other day. But it doesn't mean that your understanding should change. For example, take someone you know deeply, someone you love deeply with all your heart, a close friend, a family member, a spouse, a child. Does your understanding of them change with time? Now, it should if you're paying attention, <laughs> right? If you're a good parent, if, you, if you're a good spouse, it should change constantly as you learn them, 
as you change as they change, right? Who your child is when they're at this stage is very different from who they become as they grow. It, it's always evolving and growing. The closer you come to someone, the more you know of them, and it continues to change. No one is limited to a tiny little box. And if no single human being is limited to a tiny little box, surely God is not either. So in the scriptures, we are given these, these beautiful on-ramps to, to experience who God is. But these are meant to just get us started. It's almost like a trampoline, right? It's meant for us to get started in the air. And you continue to jump higher and higher on this thing. <clears throat> now, the Lord's Prayer is one of these things. Now, we do it often here. And I think that one of the ways that we approach the Lord's Prayer, which is, is it's halfway true, is that the Lord's Prayer is meant for us to just to ask God to do these things. But, but the way that the Hebrews used to approach prayer <clears throat> was that prayer was not just us asking, but it was us experiencing. It's the way that we experienced who God was. So as we put this passage up in Matthew uh, 6, Matthew 6 through 9, here's what I want us to do. We're about to pray through it together in a very different way. But the premise of this is that every one of these things that God offers us God is our friend. Jesus is, is, a, is a, a brother to us, right? These different on-ramps that God gives us. What if you would let that actually take you somewhere? What if you would let that create an idea of who God is for you? What if you would let it take you to a better experience of God? This might be hard for you, but try it. I'm not trying to trick anyone here. My, my honest heart is this. I want to give you tools to know who God is more, because you don't know all, and I don't either. And there's always more to experience of God. This will help you if you let it. So if you close your eyes yet again, don't worry, I'm not going to make you do any jumping jacks or dancing or singing yet, but I want to explain something. I'm going to read through this slowly, and as I do, I want you to let your imagination kind of to run wild. Don't try to control your thoughts. We're going to start in the first verse in verse 9. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven. Now with your eyes closed, just sit there. Our Father in heaven. I want you to imagine this. If you had a good father, I want you to imagine all of the best parts of your father. What were the best ways that your father took care of you? What were the best ways that your father looked after you? That your father protected you? That your your father paid attention to you, that your father expressed love to you or affection to you, that your father listened to you or talked with you. If you had a terrible experience with a father or just a lackluster one, imagine all of the negative things that your father did with you, the ways he did not pay attention to you, the ways he did not show affection, did not make time for you, and I want you to imagine the opposite experience. The word that is assumed in this, the word the Hebrews assume, is good. Imagine that you have a good Father in heaven. Now this by itself should be enough to keep you busy for the rest of your life. Imagine if every time that you prayed, every time you thought about God, that you imagined that He was a good Father to you. Now I also want you to imagine this. Imagine that this same good father is also the same good father of the person next to you, the same good father of your neighbor, 
The same good father of someone who lives in Fayetteville. Same good father of someone who is South Korean. Same good father of someone from Saudi Arabia. Same good father of every single human being on the planet. Now, if you're allowing yourself to experience this, this should really be shifting something. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Pause. What does the world look like that your good Father who cares for you, who loves you, who listens to you, who makes time for you, what does that world look like? A world where that Father is in control of everything. What does that kingdom or that world look like? And then imagining that world becoming this world. Thy kingdom come. Thy world where my Father who is loving and caring and protecting and safe and affectionate and makes time for me, listens to me, cares about me, or that world is this world. That your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Pause with that. Whatever needs you have this week, whatever needs that people close to you have, for food or for bills, whatever things that you need that might not be met right now, imagine that a father who loves you that well, a father who has that much power and that much control, that much resources, would this father take care of those needs? Give us this day our daily bread. Take care of us the ways that we need. And forgive us our debts. Would this father who loves you this much, cares about you that deeply, would this father forgive you? Again, if you had a, a negative experience with the Father, imagine the opposite. Imagine the type of Father you always wished you had. Would this Father forgive you? If you were forgiven, if you didn't carry any weight or shame or anger or pain, would you be able to forgive others? Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not bring us into a time of trial. Will this father who loves you deeply and cares for you, if you're a parent, a father, a mother, the way you care about your child, would you lead your child into a time of trial or pain? Would you lead them into temptation? <clears throat> but rescue us <clears throat> from the evil one. Would you rescue your child? Would that father rescue you? You can all open your eyes. and Again, one of the hardest things with these practices is we have so many walls up. So to do it in this kind of a setting is very difficult for most of us, but I want you to get the idea. Every time you read in the Scriptures a description of who God is, God is like this. His mercies are new every morning. This is not a box. Here's the box that God fits. He's like a father. No, 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 no. This is an invitation to begin imagining 
a God like this? Do you truly pray to a God whose mercy is new every time that you wake up? Or do you worship or pray to a God who's not like this? Do you pray to a God who truly is present to you the way that a good father would be? Or do you spend time with a God who is different from that? Pretending, practicing, is believing. Most of us, we go through every single day making choices, living by stories which are harmful. They're small, petty stories. These gods are vengeful and ugly and honestly look more like us than the God we see in the Bible. But what happens if you begin to allow God to become the God that he says that he is? But the only way for us to get there is to build healthy beliefs, new beliefs. If the God who you worship and you pray to doesn't look like that good father, then we have work to do. And this is why we begin to open a whole new door to the power of prayer. So as we build our beliefs, three parts to them. A story, is your story a good story? Is it the right story? Is it a story that fits with the God we see in Jesus? Does your God and does the story look like Jesus? Do we reinforce this? What behaviors are we reinforcing this story of a good God with? And lastly, the reinterpreting. Stories only survive. Our beliefs only survive if we can reinterpret them. Is this a story that can survive the worst day, the darkest day? All right, would you guys stay with me this morning? Let me get you guys out of here. Appreciate your patience. I know it's not comfortable to do stuff like that, but I want you to understand. It doesn't matter your makeup or your personality or background. We have to understand that creating beliefs is in our hands as well. So making sure that we're fostering these ideas, that who God really is, we see in Jesus, is this the God who we follow? And I'm showing you in very simple ways, ways that we build and foster beliefs, and we do it in every part of our lives, with our relationships, at work. You have stories in every part of your life that you believe. And making sure that our stories are the good stories. Making sure our stories fit Jesus. And making sure that the good ones are being fed, they're being reinforced. And the unhealthy ones are not being fed. This fits, this will touch every part of your life. I know you might not know it yet. The way you handle money, the way you are in relationships, the way you handle anxiety or fear or pride, all of these things feed into the stories that you take care of, the ones that you let live and the ones that you birth. So Father, we come to you this morning. You're a good Father. As simple and hard to believe as that is, I pray this morning that we would be people who would believe the story. We would feed in the story. That this is a story that survives the worst day we'll ever go through. That you are a God who is attentive, who loves us, who's affectionate, who cares for us, who makes time for us, who listens for us, who, take, who protects us, who takes care of our needs. Every part of our life where we don't believe this yet, show us ways to practice, to lean into, to let these beliefs become real in our lives. So we're just going to let the prayer team come on up. If you need prayer for anything, this is one of the other ways that we reinforce things. Sometimes we can't just say words in our head to God. Sometimes we need to get it out. Sometimes we need to look at someone. We need someone to, to hug us or to put their hand on our shoulder. We need to, to speak these words out. And this is where the Scriptures were given each other for this. 
we get to work out these stories and these beliefs about God. If you need prayer for anything, struggling in any way, we're here for you. So Father, we pray, Lord, as we go, Lord, that we would just take these big, beautiful ideas of who you are, that we would let you be bigger and more kind and more loving and more good than we ever imagined, more present, more real, speaking more frequently, making time to visit us more often, that we would allow you to be the God who you truly are, the God we see in Jesus.